G'day, folks. It is the coach here, and it is time to get GOAT. That's it. Ready to talk all things Beast of Chaos. How good is this? <laughs> Check that out. Am I like a legit streamer now or what? We are talking Beast of Chaos. Pulled out the mad stops here. Even pulled out. I don't know if you've seen these dice. I got given these dice like ages and ages ago. Oh, They're what? like my technical. Yeah, some um, one of the legends in Discord, funnily enough, um, had sent me some... Um, barn hammer dice but they're goat dice so i always said if i ever played beast of chaos i would um i'd pull those out and i thought it was a great timing but i am here folks with uh roz aka matt newen aka the nog the news that that's the how artists work oh. everything the news ah, the news the nog you're a nog <laughs> <laughs> Is a nog, but we're talking beasts of chaos. And what got the news here is that not only is Matt a great person, but he also went four and one at the Las Vegas Open with the beasts of chaos. I set you a challenge, and I'd said to you in Discord that um, I would get you onto the channel talking all things beasts of chaos if you could at least go three and two. I thought that would be the benchmark. Not a lot of people are doing well with beasts of chaos challenge accepted and you went bloody four and one yeah i mean honestly considering how i started in 2.0 beats of chaos was one of my first armies and then when i got into like the rtt and event scene around here i there's this joke that we have in our local community that i literally had like a 19 percent win rate but i didn't care i had fun like boc is like one of my first loves i got into boc because i was playing warhammer total war into warhammer total war 2 and Beast Fens one of my favorite factions. I was like, oh, I wonder with how they play in the game, if they play the same way in the tabletop. Kinda, but then I still love the army because I love the theme. I love just like, you know, the beasts in the forests and stuff like that. And well, after playing Beast of Chaos for a really long time, and then, so before I took Beast to um, LVL, I actually was going to play Giants, but then um, my proxies were were not approved but then you know i was kind of bummed by that because i think i was trying to go for top giants but then i was thinking you know what i haven't played boc in a while and you know let's bring out my bull course they're like they're literally my favorite models in that whole line even though they're like old and everything and, you know to me it was just fun because i think i pick an army regardless of how good it is which is why i played boc for so long because you know if i love playing it then i'll always keep playing it so then um i had to paint 24, uh, 27 Bulgors before LVO. I only had six painted, so I really owe um, Tom and um, another buddy of mine, Gabe, for helping me paint all those Bulgors in time. And then, well, I took it to LVO. I know what to do with it. And then um, turned out turned out pretty good. So, yeah. you. This is incredible. I'm, I'm, I've got, folks, I've got to manually bring up the comments on the chat, by the way. So if, you, if you're wondering what's going on or why chat's called, but like you guys are making me click like a million times right now. Like it's unbelievable. <laughs> People are throwing money at me because you and I are showing off show, our shoulders. We, we even actually accidentally came on stream. Like, yeah, we're matching, apparently matching so right now. Yeah. We're matching. Like it's absolutely, yeah. it's time to get goat. But you've obviously had a great run. I've seen you talking a lot of good theory and, and good uh, maths hammering uh, about the Beast of Chaos. And, you know, I've had some great people on the channel in the past. Joel McGrath definitely has been on the channel in first, second and third edition talking about BOC. And it really feels like the stars kind of started to align for you because you obviously had a points drop in the winter FAQ. Well-deserved. 
you had some broken realms rules come into play. Unfortunately for you, you didn't have the um, the white dwarf. Actually, I even mentioned you. I even said uh, in the white dwarf kind of video that you know you went four and one without the white dwarf supplement. And I only can wonder what you would have done if you had it. But funnily enough, Matt has literally raced over from an RTT, a one-dayer, went 3-0 and with the Beast of Chaos, I hope. It was Beast of Chaos, right? Please don't tell me you played Gargans. <laughs> no, I played my BOC. I just love my cows. Moo. So, you know, you've obviously come in literally with the White Dwarf experience as well. So even though you went four and one, again, outstanding accomplishment at the LVO without these rules, you've actually now already put some of these into play. And we're going to talk about your experience on third edition and how you see it as a BOC player, how you've kind of handled so far with the current meta, whether it's, you know, long strike and mortal wound output from range, if it's going to be the hero hammer and the armor save, what you've kind of learnt so far, the impacts of coherency, but then also how are these rules coming into play? And I'll kind of get your take as well. But like, how do you find BOC? I guess, first off, why BOC to the LVO? I know you mentioned not having a Gargan approved. Is that literally the, you had no other uh, I mean, that was, that, yeah, that was pretty much the only reason. So otherwise I was probably going to take my Megas because, I mean, they're also a fun army to play. Not as, I mean, not as much thinking as BOC, but fun <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean they're they're a great how what were you expecting because i know when i said to you um go three and two and i'll get you on the channel and get your experience you know you were like oh i don't i, I think you 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 didn't think i had any, any faith in you um no i didn't i didn't think that i think for i didn't have any like they kind of like i thought it was going to be hard because of you know there's long strikes, there's dragons, you know, there's megas, there's maw crushes, and, you know, just really fast things that can kill. I mean, most of BOC is a 5-up save, maybe a 4-up save at best. So that's why I was kind of scared of all those things. And I guess before I get into, like, you know, my thoughts about BOC, um, right before I took it to LVO and their place in 3rd edition, I guess I'll answer uh, two of the questions in the chat, if that's okay. Um, you, think, professional streamer, like it's like you, yeah. So, I guess to answer Flaming Go Pie, or Fl what's the name? <laughs> so, I got into Flamingo Pie, <laughs> yeah. So, I got into BOC, um, from Warhammer One when they came out as the first DLC. So, that's when I fell in love with the army and I just saw Minotaurs or Bulgors and they just kind of went ham. And then, um, the other question the armies that I fought, um, Perkins. So I'll name it right now. So my first matchup was Sylvaneth. That was actually my only loss at LVO, and that was against Nick Garcia. He's uh, one of the best Sylvaneth players I know. Awesome painter, too. Definitely recommend him. And then second game was against Legion of the First Prince. Third game was against Nighthaunt with like 150, 160 bodies, ignoring all my rend. Um, fourth game was against Megas, and it was actually against someone from the AOS Coach Discord. I think her name is uh, Penny or... On the Discord. Okay, or... cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think you don't know who you're yeah. about. And then um, game five was against Iron Jaws. So, yeah, those were all my matchups for LVO. And then what? I will say, when it comes to my toughest, the toughest matchups, in my opinion, so, and that, so I will actually say my toughest matchups were definitely Night Hunt because just ignoring, like, you know, all the rend. And I just, it just came down to dice at that point because i mean all 
I think with some of how their rules work, they can basically get to like a five up, like feel no pain across their like entire army. And they have a lot of debuffs. And that game was really like clutch because, well, he, he kind of mispositioned Olander. So I was able to get like a nine inch charge with some enlightened killed her. And then with my doom bowl masters of magic, I was able to unbind a lot of the spells. So yeah, that worked out. And then I was able to pass the night haunt DPS check. And then Silver Death was actually hard for me because they can stack so many saves and they can be everywhere and they actually have a really good magic dominance, which I think BOC struggles with. And that's why I bring Masters of Magic to deal with that. I mean, that game, he, um, Nick, he won by one point. And then the other Megas is hard because it's pretty much a DPS check, but I mean, I had enough control that I was able to deal with that and Iron Jaws. I mean, going against Iron Jaws and Megas, it's the same, it's almost the same thing kind of and then leisure the first prince i just um i just had a lot of control and um i think he kind of underestimated boc so he kind of put his um great unclean one out with the five up and then Belcor and well bulgors just do uh bulgore things yeah this is like the longest I haven't spoken on my channel. Like you can just keep going, man. Like just feel yeah, free sorry to just keep running. Yeah, sorry about talking too fast. I think I could. No, I'm no, excited. no, no, no. It's great. It's great. Absolutely. And um, and like the chat is just off the charts here, folks. It's just absolutely insane. Um, I'm getting asked about OnlyFans links. Where you know, people are just telling you to make your bed. People are, and obviously, you know, and I just mentioned it. You just won an RTT or a, a local uh, event as well. So. You've obviously got some practical experience when it comes to um, running the new Beast of Chaos. But and, and, and so much to unpack there, mate. You've, you've, you've given me a nightmare. First off, Nighthaunt has obviously announced that um, there's a new battle tome coming. Uh, we know there's going to be a box that will come in the near future. Um, does that concern you at all, given that there's been so many, uh, at least in my country and a lot of other countries, I don't think you had the Mortal Realms magazine, but certainly there is a lot of Nighthawk players. Do you think that's going to be like a natural predator to BOC when that battle time comes out? I mean, regardless of how strong the, the Nighthawk battle tome is i actually still think it's going to be pretty good against boc because they can get as many bodies and msu on the board as we can and they have really good magic especially if they bring nagash and i played against um a nagash night haunt list and i only won in my opinion because um nagash miscasted like three times throughout the entire game so yeah i think if night haunt is able to just you know it's, they're probably going to be immune to rent again they have good spell casting and they're another horde army it actually challenges boc because that's what like we like to do so mm. i think it'll be yeah, it'll yeah. be fun it'll be a fun challenge and you so, don't yeah. and you don't quite have the range to take them out and this is obviously not the night haunt show and we don't know what's coming out by the way aki thank you so much for your donation i think you've thrown money at me twice now you know it's only been like 10 minutes of live streaming i feel like i should do more beasts of chaos if it's just like a stripper and you're just kind of throwing cash at us um did matt's sister go to the lvo i feel like there's some things that i'm missing here from the chat maybe i shouldn't bring up some of this stuff. Uh, what happens in vegas uh stays in vegas <laughs> well you did get a tattoo from going uh four and one so oh yeah um, well i gotta show it off for the audience so uh, yeah i got this tattoo right after i got my um four one your camera in your inter oh there we go i was gonna say your internet's being a bit potato at the moment so they they can see it now oh Okay. Um, is the internet better now? It's all good, man. It's all good. I can hear you perfectly. So it's all good. Yeah. 
So what were the keys to your success? Let's let's actually rally back first because you've already kind of given me so much great content. I want to kind of chunk back a little bit to go well. What was it about about your four and one run that helped you be successful? Was it yourself? Was it something that has happened in the past? Like, so I know you ran Bulgors, for example, and we will go over your LVO list as well as the list that you're going to be playing with at the moment, like how it's changed because of White Dwarf. Is it the points adjustment? Was it um, you found a good a good match at the moment with the current meta for certain things? Um, because you just don't see much piece of chaos. And I know one of the big complaints is the coherency rules, the lack of bravery, um, the only ability to only do inspiring presence one, which impacts like gores and ungores and a lot of those, you know, big heavy waves of bodies. What what were your keys to success, maybe? So I guess to start off with, um, I played Beast for a long time in 2.0, and I had a great I had a I had a great understanding of the army, but I feel like because of how second edition played, which was, you know, I love second edition, but I think a lot of it played for killing, which isn't what Beast of Chaos is like great at. I mean, no, it can be good at it, but like we have to be able to take a hit. So when third edition came around and battle tactics came and everything. Um, it made me actually think, so I, So actually, I was actually pretty down about Beast of Chaos for a long time when 3.0 came around because of coherency and everything, and I thought it just killed the way I wanted to play lists. So I only started thinking about it when I started playing Bulgors just for fun at like, you know, little RTTs we did or just like, you know, TTS. And then um, I realized how hard Bulgors hit. So, because they're they're five up save, but they're glass cannon, and depending on what weapon option you take, you can either take the paired axe, which is two damage, or the great axe, which is three damage. And then I was thinking, okay, cool, bulgors do a lot of damage, but if they die, then well, I can't really do anything. So, what does BOC need? We need a lot of control, and I will go into the control aspect of my list when we look at the LVO list. And then I hope that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, I know, I know when the coherency stuff came out for third edition, you know, a lot of your damage was coming out of units like Bulgors, um, as you've already mentioned. Yet when coherency came in and you reinforce the unit of Bulgors into six, it starts kind of playing around and you can't get them all into combat. And I know there was a lot of questions and a lot of bit of frustrations that go, well, why would I reinforce Bulgors if I, you know, if I can't, get, if I have unit of six, but I can't get them all into combat, it's a bit of redundancy. Am I better off going threes? What am I thinking? Where am I going? And I, I don't think we've kind of seen any good competitive list up until your point. I haven't seen, I think what, uh, was it um, Bill Sousa might've done really well with it, but he had like spammed cockatrice. So there was some craziness, yeah. but it wasn't he was really spamming, the traditional. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's having cockatrices, and then yeah. Gavin, he was going um, a bunch of Zongors and Wizards, and that special tech with that list is that if Zongors have a banner and they're by a bunch of Wizards, they just do a bunch of mortals if you're in range. So yeah, it's just weird tech, but yeah. And then, do oh, yeah, sorry, go on. Do you th do you think do you think Zangors? Because one thing that I was thinking about with the with the new rules is we haven't seen a lot of Zangors for a long time, whether it's Skyfires, Enlightened, or even the Zangor in foot. I remember Dan Bradshaw in first edition or might have been at the cusp of second edition had won the UK Masters off the back of Zangors. 
and I think it was with BOC. Yeah, yeah, Gavin did do well. I, I do remember Gav's list. I, I do apologise that one. Um, but do you reckon there's a place for Zangor at the moment? Um, it really depends what how you build the list. I mean, I've kind of thought about for fun. It's like, oh, what if I run like sixty Zangor, and that and they're about two wounds each, so they're a lot of bodies. And now with um the rules where you can just rally on a four up, it has a lot of potential. They don't really do any damage. But I think if you want to go the um, bodies route and just pure tankiness, I would just go with just a bunch of dragon ogres instead of zongors. Although zongors do have spice, they do have spice, and they've got the little shields as well, which help. But yeah, o dragon ogres are, are certainly a sleeper. I think mostly because people just don't want to buy the old models. You know, very staticky, yeah. and you know, obviously resin printing all that stuff out there. But you don't really see many. You know, the thunderscorn side, but. Look, what I might do is I actually might just bring up some of the rules. So, you know, for anyone who hasn't, you know, I know some countries haven't gotten the White Dwarfs just yet, Australia being one of them. Um, you obviously got updates to the White Dwarf, and there's been a whole bunch of updates, both you got Grand Strategy, Battle Tactics. So we'll talk maybe a little bit about what, what you've got given, and I'd love to get your perspective on how you're thinking about this. What does it mean to you? Has it changed your list or even maybe how the way you look at some of the units? So I might actually just bring that up now and go, cool. All right. Well, first things first, man, we had the update to the Bray, the Herdstone. I was going to call you the Bray Herd. No, the Herdstone. Um, now, there were some big changes with the Herdstone. Specifically, you lost the Battleshock immunity. So um, it used to obviously have the, the area of effect where you wouldn't take Battleshock within, um, if you were wholly within the radius. And then there was some shenanigans around uh, reducing the save characteristic of enemies within the radius by one. Instead, you've got a new war scroll. Uh, it's been completely rewritten. You get a rend minus one uh, boost to every unit um, board wide. And then from battle round three, it becomes rend minus two instead of rend minus one. The other one is that um, instead of getting the Battlestruck immunity, you do get a half the models flee. So should you fail a Battleshock test, if four models would flee, it's only two. Maths. Yeah. Matt, what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the uh the Hearthstone and has it changed anything? So while I will miss the Battleshock immunity, because that was kind of nice, especially when it got into later terms of the game where it was like 30 inches and just Battleshock immunity, I feel like it's such a minor loss compared to what we've received instead. The biggest problem with BOC was Rend. I mean, I, it's easy for us to stack Rend and everything, but all of our spells have to go off, or the Hearthstone has to get close to, like, you know, it has to expand enough where they'll be in the aura. And, you know, if an opponent knows how to deal with BOC, just, they just stay out of the aura. I mean, until it's turn four, but then at that point, it doesn't matter. So I feel like when I saw that all BOC units, are getting additional red one at the start of turn one to battle round three, and then it goes up to two. That to me, just like I remember, I was about to go to sleep, and you sent me the leaks, and I literally just like I couldn't sleep. Literally, only went to work for literally went to work for with two hours of sleep because I was just so excited about the rules. Because the biggest reason why I'm excited about the Ren change is that it makes a lot of things more viable in BOC. Because the reason why I took Bulgors besides the fun factor is that Bulgors were the only things that hit really hard in the book, in my opinion, 
right before we got the white dwarf rolls. And now, um, dragon ogres can actually like hit pretty decently hard. Um, Zongor Enlightened, after testing Zongor Enlightened through TTS recently and winning the RTT, they're downright amazing. And um, even the monsters, why? Gorgons, chimeras. No, stop, 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 stop. Why? Don't, don't, don't make a comment like that and just, and then, you know, move oh, on and talk about Gorgons. Why? No, 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 no. But like, for the folks at home, like I can see Caleb, Caleb, the, the Zinch legend, is in the chat. And I know he's been excited about Skyfires. Why would you say that Skyfires and or Enlightened um, uh, really benefit from this Hearthstone ability? So usually with sky with skyfires, their melee profile and the enlightened melee profile, the spears and the discs, they're usually rend one, which you know was great in 2.0, but then in 3.0 because of all defense save stacking, not so great. So the fact that the discs with the skyfires and the enlightened and then plus the spears start off with rend two, and then it goes up to Ren 3 in Battle Round 3, just make their output so much more, especially when you consider Skyfires. If they charge in first, and Skyfires are the ones with the bows, and if they charge in first and fight, they get to reroll all hits and wounds, which raises their output tremendously with the amount of Rend. So yeah, it's got some spice. Yeah, I think the only thing, like I, I was actually talking to Caleb about this, and you know, one of the challenges that Skyfires have is that most of the damage comes from the disc, if I remember correctly, and the disc only has range one. So it's really good as a unreinforced unit, but you start to lose attacks pretty quickly when you reinforce them. So keep that in mind. But at the same time as well, yeah. I love the ability to maybe hold them back a little bit. You know, they're really fast. I think they're like movement 12 or movement 14. You can hold them back and then kind of launch them in turn three. And, you know, the, the Skyfires and the Enlightened have some shenanigans around fighting first and, and fighting yeah. last and um, the, all the reroll stuff. So, you know, really good potential unit in your list. Yeah, especially with the Enlightened with the Spears, so not the Skyfires, where because with their Spears are two inches, so you're actually able to get in a bigger unit of Skyfires with Enlightened or even the Foot Enlightened, and they just do a lot of, like, output and then it's because they have if correct me if someone correct me if i'm wrong but because they all have the braher keyword they get plus three move so if they're on a disc they go from 16 to like 19 inch move so yeah they're fast yeah and it is a great piece of scenery as fungoid cave dwarf said uh, it's an absolute cracking piece of terrain um yeah, you were talking gorgon you were talking the gorgon and um you know the gorgon started to improve slowly over time initially it was a bit of a joke and a bit of big you know it didn't do a lot now it legitimately scares me um that that gorgon even in turn one to turn through it is a significant threat yeah I mean, right now, the Gorgon is 150 or 155 points, and it's five attacks, three damage. So how much? 155 points. It's 155 points? Yeah. I'm paying like 175 for a baby Gargan at the moment. Wow. I would have had <laughs> think... them on par. Like, give, give me a discount. Yeah, I think the trade-off with the Gorgon is that, like, it can't run and charge. It moves about eight or seven and then it has a five up save so it's not hard to kill like that's that's kind of the theme with a lot of boc we're just a lot of us is we're a we're a horde army of glass cannons and control 
so I want to flip the coin here for a second because I think we could talk about their benefits. Like when I did my little white dwarf video, I could have talked until the cows came home literally on the rend improvements, you know, from, from the monsters to the heroes. I talked about like the beast lord on foot. You could talk about the doom bull. You could talk about the dragon ogres. Like you literally talk about any arm, any part of this and the benefits of the Ren plus one or Ren plus two to the characteristic. And then I had mentioned some of the spells you can add even further boost to Ren, right? There's some, you know, not so far off. You could do Ren minus seven uh, on some units. Yeah, I mean, but like... What Sorry, go on. No, no, please keep going. I'm going to ask you a question, so make your point. Yeah, I guess the nice thing about the Ren buff too is that it even buffs, like, weaker units, like best of gores, ungores, and um gores you can easily get them you could easily get an 80 point you know on gores up to like two rend so it's just funny and that yeah that was definitely one of the upsides as well because even if you do run centigore or some type of cheap chaff as an opponent i i can no longer just look through them and have a laugh because they do have look your, your to hit profile isn't the greatest i mean you are paying you know peanuts for your units but come turn three turn four they can still do damage. So it's great to have that reliability. But what I wanted to ask you was the other side of the fence. You know, when you look at the Battleshock immunity bubble that you used to have, and now you've lost it, does that change the way you look at your army? Or, you know, do some units now no longer become sexy? Like for me, you know, the temptation to reinforce uh, a unit of gore or ungore probably has diminished a lot because they now need even more babysitting with poor bravery. Um, but ha do you feel the same way or, or has it nothing changed for you? Honestly, nothing has really changed for me because usually if something wants to kill a POC unit, it just dies in my experience. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter if there's, I mean, the Battleshock community was nice and, you know, it was a fun time, but I feel like because we got all these buffs in compensation for it, it just doesn't feel like much of a loss. And with how Locus of Savagery works right now, it has the 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 um models that the flee models the unit, flee. Yeah. which makes up for it. And then you can rally on a four up, and the Hearthstone range starts off as twelve, so you always rally easily, and you'll probably get a four up mo like good half the time. Do. You I thought about that as a benefit and I'm like, right, you know, that could sound really good, but your troops mostly want to be in combat. So you, you've got to, you've got to remember to pull your, your units out of combat in order to, to get them, especially if you get the double turn, remove them from combat and then apply this ability to do the rally on a four up. But I was thinking about the potential, especially though with like um, dragon ogres with bull gore, with any of these multi-wound units, especially those hard hitters, to bring back a bulgore um, on a on a four up um, is is potentially awesome, especially if you're running like units of six. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, and I feel like BOC likes to dictate when we um, get the engagements we want, and also something else I like just thought of just now is that with how rallying on a four up works, if you're going against like a shooting army of like let's say, Long Strikes, Lumineth with Sentinels, and you have some units left and you're able to pass, like, the Leadership Bravery, you just rally on a 4-up. Like, you don't... BOC kind of used to worry about shooting armies, and now I feel like this is a, a really good answer against just, like, shooting. It's fantastic. 
it is, but you know, if I was a a, a, a bow snake, daughters of Cain, if I'm long strikes, I'm not shooting your gore and ungore. I'm shooting your characters. I'm taking out the Bray Shaman. I'm taking, you know, I'm bringing down the Gorgon to half strength. You know, I'm, I'm doing those types of damage. I'm not focusing on your Doom Bull is another one I want to take out. That um, I think overall, and maybe we kind of wrap up the, the the point here in Raymond's asking the question, would you agree that the grass is greener um, with these updates? Yes. I feel like it has definitely leveled the playing field where we could definitely match a lot of the top tier factions. And I already felt like we were actually a dark horse in the current like meta with how things are. And I think I'll explain that when we talk about the LVO list, it'll make a lot cool. more sense. All right, let's do some rapid fire ones. Cause some of these ones would be quite quick to respond with. You had the change in the new grand strategy. I really personally like this one. My comments on the video was um, I thought this was a relatively easy one to achieve and to deny your opponent. What are your thoughts on the grand strategy? So for people who can't read, maybe they, they're away from their screen or they whatever it might be. Basically, it's a double, a double grand strategy. You need to keep your opponent away from nine inches and it has to stop being smashed to rubble. So you know, you could get your enemy within nine, but as long as you stop them from smashing to rubble, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's a great grand strategy. I've been playing with it on TTS and the recent RTT ever since the White Dwarf leaked. And in my opinion, it's amazing for the simple reason that because you're not really reliant on like the Ren buff because it's battlefield wide, you can just kind of stick it in the back and, you know, you just chill. And then because someone might really want to deny the grand strategy because you know it's not hard to roll a three up they they will always overcommit to try to kill it and that is that works for me because boc is a counter punch army we like for you to come to us and then we smack you back and then i think well, that yeah so then well, that was, also, well, i was going to call this out because gareth made a good good comment is that you know it, it's you're putting a target on your faction terrain and then it becomes a priority and I don't know if you want to be putting that type of emphasis and focus on your terrain piece. So I guess, you know, how would you respond to that? In my opinion, that's actually fine because with the way I can deploy the Herdstone away from the other objectives, if they want to overcommit so much just to kill the Herdstone, that's fine with me because, you know, I can do my control, I can do my punch, or I'm just like, I just go to the objectives. And it's like, okay, cool. You, you might be able to kill the Herdstone, and if you did, how much did you lose? And that's kind of the strategy I play around, and it's worked out for me tremendously. Is there anything that you do to protect the Herdstone? So it's, and, and spoiler alert, Matt has started playing with this particular grand strategy. So maybe twofold is one, how are you protecting the Herdstone with your troops? And then what, what were you running and what, you know, what have you given up to take this grand strategy so essentially what i do is that um i i basically so in battle in battle round one i just kind of the way i deploy is that i deploy so defensively that like you know no one can like deep strike there's gonna be no manfred that can just come within nine or a, a fox i think the named fox character that just comes and just destroys it by just tapping on it and essentially they have to go through so many bodies that um, it's effectively screened, and as the game goes on, I still 
because of because our summoning is so good now, all I have to do is just summon a unit by it, or just keep one of my sh my Shagoth or one of my casters, and then it's effectively like screened. And then if someone gets within three, like you know, it's coming to it, I just redeploy, and then well, they have to charge my um, model or unit before they can touch the Hearthstone. Um, yeah, I think you know you. I, I think it's damned if you do. Like, you a lot of abilities are coming from the Hearthstone. So if you want to shut down some of these abilities we've talked about, aka the Rendon things, your opponents are going to want to smash it. So you really need to think about protecting it. It's more than just having like because you know most people that I play against, they used to just have like a Brace Shaman and maybe like the Sacrificial Gore or Ungore, and that was kind of all they would use around the Hearthstone, and then kind of everything else kind of went forward. Now I think you've got to really start thinking about what protects the um, the the Hearthstone, um, and really thinking through. You know, do you have monster opponents that can teleport, that can come within range? Um, thinking about base sizes and thinking about what you can do to kind of stop people from getting into your backfield because you are absolutely putting a target on the head of the the Hearthstone that already had a target. Yeah, and I think. Like you were saying, it's honestly super matchup dependent how I place my Hearthstone. And because I've been fortunate enough to play a lot of AOS thanks to my local community and I get to see all, all the factions and I own a good amount of armies, I generally have an idea what most armies do. So I'm, a, I'm always able to deploy the Hearthstone most of the time in a position where I'm always going to make them overcommit for it no matter what. Like it's not going to, I'm not going to make it easy for them. And I if I'm going cool against, like, well. let's say a, oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, because that the rend boost has no range effect, it's just board wide, you could essentially put the Hearthstone in a corner completely away from objectives, and then you're forcing an opponent to, A, go and focus on the Hearthstone, or B, do you start fighting for control for battle tactics um, for objective control? So you can, if you're smart, play around with movement. I just wouldn't put it immediately front and center you know, easy to achieve when you're, you know, your opponent races up the board. Yeah, no, there's no reason to. That's why I literally just stick it in the back now, where before with the old Hearthstone, I would kind of stick it like up towards the front because I want, I wanted the old um, minus one save debuff to go earlier. But yeah. Yeah. Dig it. Um, cool. You have a couple of battle tactics. Now I was kind of on the fence with these new battle tactics. I thought there was some interesting ones. There were some ones that I wasn't a big fan of, specifically, uh, was it Wrath of the Warp? Yeah. No, what was so, it? Or is it Fury of the Wild? Yeah, it was Fury of the Wild because it was only in Battle Round 1. And I felt that was really counterintuitive that I'd want to have my general and two units in combat in turn one. And because you can't use it in any other turn. Obviously, you know, general aside, depends on who your general is, but I thought that one was a really weird one at least. What were your thoughts on the three battle tactics? So to start off with Fury of the Wild, since we're talking about it, in my opinion, it sucks because, well, it's forcing you to play in a way that BOC does not want to play. And most of the time, if they're in their deployment zone, and, you know, depending on the unit you have, maybe you move like six, seven inches or a little more. And what if you fail those charges? And... I think with how this battle tactic works is, is that I think the unit, let's say even if you get that perfect scenario, I think the enemy unit still has to be alive because it says at the end of the turn. 
I didn't call that out of my video. And I, when I was going through the editing process of my White Dwarf video, I realized I forgot to mention that because if you go in with, let's say, um, a Doom Ball, let's say Doom Ball is your general and you have a unit of Doom Ball and you have, I don't know, Ungor, you have something, right? And you go in and you've got to survive the combat. So, you know, having a Beast Lord is probably not going to survive a combat if it's a, depending on who, who who's in your face. But then, yes, if you overkill the opponent um, or they fail Battle Shock, guess what? You've just lost your battle tactic. I thought it was super niche. The, I was thinking, like, if Iron Jaws charges at my face and I'm, like, locked in turn one combat, then it's a low-risk battle strategy, battle tactic. Outside of that, I thought it was really situational. Yeah, no, it's incredibly situational, and the only matchup I can honestly think this would be, like, maybe worthwhile in is against megas because you're probably not going to kill a mega a turn usually so other than that um nah it just feels like you have to punish yourself and overextend yourself so much just to get this random battle tactic that is really easy to fail and even if you get the battle tactic well you just overextend your general and then they just get slay the warlord in our boc heroes are not hard to kill and that was my problem is if I'm having like, I'd have to have a really durable general that would make me confident that I could handle or that, what, what buffs do I need to make that general survivable in combat? And if I'm in combat and I lose the double turn, uh, or sorry, I lose a priority roll and get double turned. There's just a, there's a lot of downside to this, especially losing a general early, the, you know, the extra CP and just like some of the things. So I don't know. What about the other two? Let's not focus too much on Fear yeah. of the Wild. So, um, so it's Shadow of the Herdstone. That one is really niche, but I do like that one. And I actually use this battle tactic throughout the RTT I just played in today because, well, people really want a gun for the Herdstone. And at first, when I looked at the battle tactic, I actually thought that wasn't going to come up at all. I'm just like, okay, this is niche. It's whatever. But then when I was playing my the, the games of the RTT today, and certain situations come up because, you know, every game is different, which is the great thing about Age of Sigmar. And, well, a lot of them wanted to kill the Herdstone, and I'm just like, hmm, this actually works out. And then I was actually able to score that battle tactic uh, in all three of my games. So, yeah, it's like, it's niche. I wouldn't always go for it, but it's a nice battle tactic to have. Yeah, I dig it. Again, I wouldn't plan my battle tactics around this, but you're likely to find people going for your herdstone so if if that happens throw that down yeah it's just an option it's not an auto pick it's just an option which is nice and what about the wrath of the warped wild so that one is actually really good in my opinion especially if your opponents cannot screen enough or do not screen well enough because all you have to do is just like in some battle plans especially the ones with like i guess um just three objectives some of the outer objectives um they're within the board edge and for boc all you need to do is just be with it wholly within six inches of the board edge more than nine away and if you're able to like finagle it right you can actually just like summon like let's say a unit of like ungors and just like steal the objective especially if they're not screening it and then i was able to do so before the white dwarf came out that was actually like my common tactic that i did to like people all the time just to steal the objective and now that this became an actual battle tactic, I think it's really good. It just depends on your opponent not having enough screens or misplaying. So, it's a, again, it's a nice option, but yeah. 
Yeah, I think in the video I mentioned that it's a good tactic to summon, depending, again, depends on what the battle plan is, right, and how far those objectives are from um, the side of the board. It might be something that you want to set up in advance. So, you know, you let's say, you know, you go through um, Slay the Warlord, Broken Ranks, you know, the, the one, you know, Aggressive Expansion, some of the basic ones, right? You can summon on turn three, turn four a unit and then kind of hold this one back for a later turn. Because should your opponent have the objective, it's going to be really hard to come out. Depending on the battle plan, you might be out of range. You've got, I, th I think I mentioned like Tuscor Chariots and Razor, Razor Gore can reroll their charges. Your um, Chimera gets plus two to the charge. So if you're relying on the charge, again, it's one that I wouldn't bank bank um, a, a battle tactic on if I had to I had to charge for this one. But I guess it depends. What I'm hearing is it's super situational. Think yeah. about. Well, although I actually just realized something. Um, apparently, exactly. with this battle tactic, you don't have to summon on the same turn to take the objective. No, and that's what I called out. I said um, you don't have to summon onto the objective. So the low risk play would be to summon the, the turn before you use this and then throw down Wrath of the Wolf Wilds. If you happen to have a battle tactic where the objective is close to the summoning area and there is no opponent sitting on the objective, this is an easy one. But I think in most cases, I wouldn't bank on a charge to secure this objective with a prim primarial call unit because you're just asking a lot of ifs and you're going to fail. And then if I charge with like a, a Razor Don, Razor Don, um, Razor Gore or a, um, a bloody uh, Tusk or Chariot, there's a good chance it's not going to survive the combat. Like they're not yeah. that good. No. But yeah, um, so yes, I, no, to answer your question, it doesn't have to be summoned in that turn. It just has to be a summoned unit. Yeah. Well, now that I, this is something I actually learned just right now in this video. And well, now that I know that I can just like summon a unit a turn or two turns before and then just take it. I actually think it's really good now. I thought it was a niche before because I thought you have to summon it the same turn. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, and again, all the all the the beast of chaos that milkshakes bring all the boys to the yard because I've got another donation from Tyler. Thank you so much, buckets. Um, beast of chaos. I'm gonna have to do more content. I might re rename myself the I don't know the Brayhood. Yeah. Um, anything else from a battle <laughs> tactic point of view? I think you've got some good ones. I think you've got some that are easy to achieve and some things that are like Fury of the Wild situation. Yeah. So if I have to honestly rank them, I, I would say now that I know how Wrath of the Warp Wild works, that's definitely the best battle tactic out of the new one, and then Shadow yes. the Hearthstone is the second one, and the last one's Fury yes. of the Wild. So that's how I would, I would personally uh, rank them. I'd 100% agree with them. Wrath of the Warp Wilds, you could probably do every game. Uh, the other two are super situational. Um, the first one's definitely one that would be easy to do. The the first, the, the middle one, Fury of the Wild, is just question mark. But the sexy part of the update is the monstrous rampages you got five monstrous rampages one that is universal so it doesn't require a specific unit the other four are um spe unit specific right so you can see on screen here there's one purely for gorgon there's one for cycles there's one for jabba slice and there was one for chimera so there's there's five in total uh, you don't give away um, the other ones like Stomp and Roar and Titanic Jewel. So you now have literally like nine battle, sorry, about monstrous rampages to pull from, which is insane. Yep. 
It's fantastic. And I think if we have to start off um, with Primal Roar, so that to me is the best monstrous action out of all the new ones we've gotten. Simply for the fact that if you roll hot, which like I was actually able to lucky that I, that there were several times where I rolled sixes in the RTT I just played, I was able to summon a Chimera in a turn two. That takes ten summoning points usually. So my dice just spiked, and I in three games there was a Chimera out turn two. And before before the um, White Dwarf, it was rare for a Chimera to come out until turn four, maybe turn three if you're running all herd. But now I was going to ask you: Were you running all herd or not? No, no sub action. Okay. Yeah. So then, it, and be at best, you summon a Chimera, and at worst, after two turns, you get to summon three Enlightened on discs. And we were just talking about how strong they are. So yeah, it's nice. And what I love about this one, and I mentioned it in the video, is that um, you don't even have to be in combat for this one. Like nope. you could literally have. I mentioned the. Um, the shagoth the shagoth has a monster keyword or if you had a cygor in the backfield you had a cockatrice your cockatrice could do this get you some summoning points because it's not reliant on you being in combat which i thought is a brilliant little tactic yeah and you could do it in both player turns which makes it like to me instantly the best monstrous action out of the white dwarf yeah, it's it's big. It's really big. And then obviously you got the um the feast on flame. Anything else from Primal Raw? Um, I really like it. Again, you mentioned all her to stack. I couldn't see too many other ways to get bonus primal I mean, call points. The only thing I have to say now is that I always thought our summoning was like pretty good, and now it feels top tier. It's honestly to me kind of insane. I'm surprised that Games Workshop gave this to us, but hey, I guess we get to have our time in the sun. No, they've just got too many beasts of chaos models in, in the warehouse. And they need to sell uh, <laughs> every piece of chaos player like an in-depth uh, roster of summoning units. So They um, need to sell all the metal, VOC, and the fine get, cast. Get, getting rid of all the inventory. Feast on Flesh, I really like this one because the Gorgon, unfortunately, it's a once-per-battle thing. Now, if you have multiple Gorgons, it means you can obviously do it more than once, just once per Gorgon model. Um, and it allows you to improve the ring characteristic by one in that combat fa- until the, the following combat phase, sorry, um, which is great because then it obviously stacks with the rend characteristic already on the profile as well as the, the rend from the herdstone, assuming it hasn't been destroyed. Then as well, um, when it slays a model or it slays models in that particular combat, it heals up wounds equivalent to the models it slays. So if it slays uh, a bunch of two wound models, it's going to be healing two two wounds per model it kills. So, you know, it could easily heal up to full with a, a, de- a decent combat. Yeah. So, I, yeah, so I guess my thoughts on this is that I guess if you really build around Gorgons, then, like, it can work. But you're also really, you also have to think about it this way. Gorgon has a 5-up save, so it's not really hard to kill. And also, you have to make sure it gets into combat, and then you have to make sure it survives. Like, usually, I su- if you charge into Gorgon first, it's just going to kill. And then, um, well, I mean, like I said, it's not bad, because, well, you start out with the new BOC um, Hearthstone buffs. I think the Gorgon starts off at, like, Ren 2 or Ren 3. This is before the um, turn 3 buff. So then now you can get an additional rend. So if you just if you just time it right and just do some shenanigans, the Gorgon's gonna be like rend five. And so that, you know, 
that yeah. kills things. <laughs> and then you've always got spells as well that can increase the rend as well to rend six. I, I, was, I was looking at the, um, I'm just bringing up the profile now. There was, um, uh, what was it? I mean, the butcher, the butchering blade, for example, you know, it's got rend minus one for three damage a piece. You add an extra rend one there. It's it's now rend two plus the 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 herdstone. It's now rend minus three in turn one. Yeah. Doing three damage a piece, doing five attacks. I think a smart player, like whenever I've seen a gorgon on the table, I've always tried to put it down to half strength. Just because when it starts, when it takes seven wounds, um, the profile is not a threat. No. Like you, you really got to keep it within like zero to six wounds. Yeah, and I mean that's the case with most BOC monsters. If they take more than three wounds, they just degrade like crazy. Which is why, like, I personally don't run a lot of BOC monsters unless I want to summon them into the list because all these things are so niche. But it's nice; it's a nice option that it's there. And like, hey. Maybe it's really clutch that, you know, your Gorgon is at low wounds, you're able to kill things, especially if you're allowed to do, um, pro like, the Gur Roar command ability, so he just fights at full strength, and then, yeah, maybe he heals everything, so. Would you, if you had a, a C, would you want to do that, or would you prefer to do all-out attack on a Gorgon? Um, no, I would prefer to do the Gur command ability, because he needs... Because I think if he degrades, he just loses attacks or loses rend or something like that. Like he just loses so much after he takes he, like three wounds. Um, who was it? Someone in the chat made a really good good comment. Um, Duck Duck um, Duck Dictator was mentioning that um, they like to use uh, the Gorgon in Dark Walkers, being able to put him into reserve um, because obviously it, it's not just not just Bray Herd, but also War Herd and Thunder Scorn. Any thoughts on, on that? I guess that's one that's one way for it to avoid getting damage dealt to it, especially like if it starts charging and there's missile weapons, you know, um, a, a good unit of Iron Drakes, Long Strikes, Bow Snakes could probably do a, uh, probably enough wounds to degrade it a fair amount. Yeah, I mean, it's a fun trick that you could put in Dark Walkers and make it come out of Ambush turn one because Dark Walkers lets you ambush um, Thunderscorn, which is Dragon Ogres, and Warherd, which is... Um, Bulgors and Gorgons. So it's a fun trick, but you also have to think about it this way. You have to make the charge. And then you have to make sure if they don't have Overwatch. And then what if you get roared at? There's so many factors where it's like you have to make sure the stars align to make sure nothing happens to the Gorgon and he's able to do what he really likes to do. And if he whiffs, which happens a lot of the time, um, he's just a free monster point. Like, yeah, he's just yes. now he's just sitting in the enemy like backline, just being a free monster point, and they could easily get up to like three or four po victory points just off killing that Gorgon with another monster. Um, you know, Block Tofu mentions a good point is that you know if they're shooting at you Gorgon, it definitely means it and not shooting at like your, your your the units that you really don't want them to shoot at your Bulgors, your Doom Bulls, your Dragon Ogres, you know any of those other critical units that you prefer not to focus on. But to your point the likelihood of it getting into combat at full strength is probably slim. And um, you're right, when it dies, it does give away that monster point. So that's a rule that while we play in the, the Gurish Heartlands. But for 155 points, um, it's definitely good value, I think. Um, if nothing more, it's a distraction piece for the rest of your force because people want to be putting damage onto it. But um, I probably wouldn't overinvest in it unless you had some some crack ideas. Yeah, and I guess to address um, Block Tofu in the chat, 
yeah, they want to shoot. If they shoot my Gorgon, they're not shooting other things. But at that point, BOC has so many like chaff units, they could just do the same job. I can just ambush them in turn one or summon them in. And then it's like, cool, I don't have to charge. But then now, if I'm going against long strikes, they have to keep in mind, okay, do I shoot the Bulgors or do I shoot the best of Gors or something that was just summoned in my back line? So, and I feel like with BOC, because we are so squishy, we do not want to give that many victory points easily. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to win the war of attrition, poor old BOC. Um, anything else you'd mention about the Gorgon slash um, the Primordial Call um, trait, or should we look into the other three? Um, I think we said enough about the other two. I think tomorrow for the RTT, because I'm being a ringer, because I'm hosting an event, I might take four Gorgons for fun, so we'll see. I think, I think, would I take a Gorgon? Yes. Yes, I would. Would I take two? I'd have to really think about the strategy and what I'm trying to achieve and how I'm buffing it and what am I not taking instead. Um, th that's probably what I'd be thinking. Now, I said Psygors in, in my video, I didn't like them and I still don't like them. And I think... The current meta right now, with there not being a lot of endless spells on the table, you know, when we when we used to have two, three, four endless spells on the table, I could definitely see value in this. But I just found that the damage profile is inconsistent. Um, I've never been impressed with the rock attack, and then getting a boost on endless spells which aren't consistent on the tournament. And by the way, folks. If you are a cycle lover and you got five cycles on the shelf, you do you run the cycles to your heart's content. But if I was going to a major tournament, would I build a strategy around cycles? I don't think this monstrous rampage is enough to get me to build it into a competitive list. What's your points? Am I wrong? So here's actually kind of like my hot take on cycles is that like, are they great right now? No, because the meta is not, there's not a lot of magic at the moment. I mean, yeah, there's Seraphon and Lumineth, but then it's just so like niche. And there's not, like you said, there's not a lot of endless spells too. And the shooting attack is like, okay. But if things become more magic heavy, I could, I could honestly like make a case for it. Like, I think it's so meta dependent. Like, let's say if we go back to a lot of magic, then I would probably take one or two Cygors actually. Yeah, like we're in the Gersh Heartlands right now, so it's all be benefiting monsters, you know. But what happens in GHB 2022 if it was, I don't know, the land of magic? Let's say it's magic gone wild, and, you know, there's all these boosts to the magic, and we're now to, you know, points go down on endless spells, and, you know, we, we go into that meta. Absolutely, the Psygore is a great ability to, to come in. It heals. It gets a whole bunch of things. So right now, yeah, I'd say no. In the future, I would um, I would revisit that. Yeah, and I mean the shooting attack. I feel like is it's like it's okay. I mean it could definitely it either pops off or does nothing. It's kind of one of those like it's if you're a, a gambler kind of guys. Problem is though is that you know hits it's one attack hits on a four wounds on a two ren two for d six. Would I spend a CP to bring that down to a three on one attack? Feels like a feels like a dodgy um, dodgy use of a CP when it could end on a damage one. Yeah, and so, I roll a lot of ones, like, as um, the SoCal community can vouch for, so I never trust on D6 for me that much. <laughs> By the way, Vince Venturello is mentioning that he's recently played uh, double 
double gorgon and um he felt it was overwhelming um but did find incredible value from the vestigors and the zangor skyfires so uh an another reinforcement that i think the skyfires might be a sleeper unit that no one's talking about that i think will could potentially be a great addition to your your next tournament list yeah i'm definitely heard, looking into them a lot more so yeah well you've heard it from me you've heard it from vince you've heard it from caleb who's the number one zinch in the itc yeah, you're hearing it here, folks. Hot exclusive Zangor Skyfires are the place to be. Yeah, Saigor, nice. Depends if you're in the what what your meta is. Yeah. Now the Jabba Slife is one that I have not been a fan of. Um, when the War Scroll changed between between Broken Realms, I was unimpressed with the change. But I've started to see a couple of people swear by it in the Beast of Chaos Facebook group. They're like, you know, I love my Jabba Slide. It did so much damage. Super impressed with it. Now, I'm not sure if I'm missing something or this person just rolling hot. Or maybe they have like 50, 50 Jabba Slides sitting on their shelf and they're like trying to sell them in a buy and sell or something. But what are you, what's your take on the, on the, on the Jabba Slide? Because I look at this. Look, maybe, maybe they've, like, they've got like the – maybe they're just like a, like a buy and sell kind of person. All right, Duck, Duck Dictator's backing me up here. Jabba Slice are bad. What's your take, Matt, and why? So, as much as I love the Jabba Slice, I love the model, and I love the fluff behind it. It's really reliant on your, in my opinion, your opponent's rolling a lot of ones, which does the mortal wounds to it. If they roll a lot of ones, great. If they don't, then it literally does nothing. That's my opinion. And then, um, also, on a four-up, if a melee weapon gets a wound through and you fail it on a i think it's on yeah on a four up you do one more to four, wound four up yeah yeah so it's just like the the jabber slife is swingy and i will say the one thing that is really nice about him is that monstrous action especially if in the current hero hammer where we're at or if you're going it's megas just goes in reduces the save by um one on a two to five and a six minus two save so yeah it's it's niche like I would hesitate to call it bad, but I wouldn't run it. So let me challenge you here for a second. So you mentioned being able to reduce the save by one or two, depending on the dice roll. Outside of Beasts of Chaos, this is a good rule. If I was able to do that in any other faction, I like that ability. But do I even need it with the Herdstone? Do I um... need it? Do I need this save characteristic of minus one or minus two plus rend minus a million? Yeah. Honestly, no, because we have so many ways to stack rend with our spells and then our Nate's rend and now buffed up rend from the Hearthstone. And there's also the chain. Also, another thing that brings me down on the Jabber's Life command um, or monstrous action is that it's a hero. If it was a unit, then I'd be like, all right, there's a lot of spice. Now it's just only a hero, so all they have to do is just keep your heroes away. And what if you fail the charge, or what if you roll the one on the monster's action? So it's like, okay, well, that's just a free monster point for your opponent. Now, there is one reason that you might you might bring it, and Mike Mike in the chat here has made, made the comments. I'm glad that you're connecting. We've got the brainwaves between our countries because it does change the save characteristic. So it's not saying reduce the save by one. It's saying to change the characteristic. So it means that should you apply all that defense or the finest hour or whatever it might be, you can still only get to a, a maximum of a plus one to a save. So if I bring a, a Mega Gargan, for example, right, base save of four, 
If I bring that down by, by one, it means it has a base save of five. And the best I can ever do with a whole bunch of like Mystic Shield, Finest Hours, uh, Cover, all of those abilities, I can only ever get it up to plus one. Yeah. So Which... in that situation, there's some value. But it is hero-based. And is it worth it is the question that I have. And I don't have the answer. It's just a rhetorical, have a think about it before you chuck it in your list. So I don't want to shut down people's like dreams or something because I remember when I ran a bunch of Bulgors for my LVO list, everyone told me, oh, Bulgors, they did so little. And then now I made it work. So maybe it can work, but I feel like you have to put in a lot of work to make it work. And as someone, as I saw mentioned in the chat, if Night Haunt becomes a thing and if it gets on top of a hero, it reduces the uh, change of save characteristics. So yeah, that's great. But because it's hero-based, most Night Haunt players, unless the book significantly changes, they don't have any tanky heroes, and it's always the troop that are in combat. So just putting it out there, just have a think about it. I'm not completely against it, but I'm really paying for a support monster. Am I better off putting the, the points somewhere else? Is this a Shagoth versus a Javaslythe? I'm going to go Shagoth every day of the week. But just... yeah. It's it's some considerations before you go out because it does sound like a good ability. I think it's tough to execute. Yeah, it's it's like you know it's there. It's an option, so that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, they will they will eat ghosts, and they'll be great for ghosts being able to reduce the characteristic because they can't benefit you know positively or negatively um, to any save buffs. But reducing their save, but again, it's a hero thing, so just keep that in mind. Um, and Mike, Mike is absolutely just an absolute fan of it because he's he's running them at the Cherokee Open. So we'll see how your theory hammerys go, Mike. You let us know what what, yeah. what be a be a hero, got. Mike. Be a hero. <laughs> and thank you, live as well. Uh, appreciate the the donations. I feel like a Twitch streamer at this point. Um, yeah, Java Slice. Yeah, I think we talked too much about Java Slice. I'm just not that impressed. But hey, prove me wrong, folks. The last one, which I am a fan of, is the Chimera, which is uh, a great monster. Um, people have been telling me that they rather summon it as opposed to put it in their list. But um, you essentially get an extra attack characteristic. So there's four different attack profiles on the Chimera. So you're really getting four, up to four extra attacks, which is really cool. But yeah. you've got to focus on the same unit. So you can't split those attacks at all. You must single focus into a unit. Thoughts on Chimera? So, I've always kind of liked the Chimera. And when I saw this monstrous action, I was like, oh yeah, there's a lot of spice. Because in my experience, when the Chimera gets into combat at full strength, it can either do nothing with or do a lot of damage. And I've been fortunate enough in my experience where it does a lot of damage. Especially when I summoned it turn two charged in at you know, at the RTTs I played in today, and it just killed a lot of stuff. And also, the fact that, like, it already does a lot of damage with the shooting at D just flat D6 mortal wounds, just off the bat. There's no rolling on a 2-up or a 3-up. It's just flat yeah. D6. And now when the Chimera goes in, it's pretty much like a glass cannon. It's gonna die, because it's a 5-up save, 12, 13 wounds, but it just goes in and does its job. So, yeah, I am... I really like Chimeras now. What I love about the fiery attack, which is the breath weapon, one, there is no roll, right? So it could be a great um, all-out defense, not all-out defense, um, unleash hell, because, you know, the minus one to hit is going to mean a whole bunch of nothing. If you were to summon it, um, it's a range of 14. 
So um, you could you could bring it into the side and shoot some of those again, long strikes, you know, bow snakes, whatever it might be, uh, cruel boy, cruel boy with the um, the man skewers or the um, the beast skewer bows. So you could do a whole bunch of damage there. And um, again, I mentioned this earlier on the battle tactic. The plus two to the charge makes it a much more reliable. Um, monster to come in from the side of the board and charge so uh whether you just put it on the table and move it forward or bring it from the side it, it's a good threat option and the damage output's pretty good especially like you look at the avian head which is ren minus three plus the one from the herdstones so ren minus four and it's doing four attacks with this um monstrous rampage for up to d3 damage a piece so could be a real damage dealer yeah I mean, like I said, I already thought it really did pretty good damage before the White Dwarf buff, and now with the additional plus one attack for all their weapons, it's um, it's one of our best monsters. I really like it, and because it generates so much threat, I actually don't mind like giving a battle tactic, letting it die, because it's in my experience, it's always going to give me so much value. The fact that it's alive, and it's something that opponent has to worry about. If they leave a five-wound hero out in the open, okay, D6 mortal wounds there's a chance that it kills them so yeah yeah and i'm just looking at the other attack profiles like you know when it starts getting wounded it doesn't really degrade very much um yes the ren will go down on the avian head yes the um the other head will go down slightly in the um the damage characteristic but for most of it is relatively consistent so again a great unit to be pulling off from the side of the board yeah i mean if i have to rate our best monsters in boc in my opinion right now it's the Shagoth and the Chimera. Top tier. I would not, I would not, dis and why would you say that? Before I retort, like, why would you say that? So, for the Chimera, it's just the fact that, like, its monstrous action is just so good, and usually with the Chimera, you never want it to split attacks because it's just so swingy. You always want it to just commit and just annihilate something, which it will do, like, a good portion of the time. And I mean, D6 Mortal Wounds is good. It's just a great, like, a, it's just a great profile for a monster. And I think the monster's like 200 points or 210. So, I mean, it's not bad for its price, especially with the output that it can do. So, that's why I rate the Chimera as one of the best monsters. And then the Shagoth just has a lot of utility. And I'll explain that when we talk about the list. Well, it'll come up in a second. But before we get into that, I want to unpack just slightly why would you summon it as opposed to pay for it? Because you've told me how great it is. Why wouldn't I just put it in my list? Or why wouldn't I have one in my list and then I summon a second? I mean, it's definitely an option that you could just have one or even two in your list. And then, you know, you can summon another one. I just don't like doing it personally because I feel like BOC has so many great tools in our army right now. And we want to shove so much into our list. And because our summoning just feels really great right now, we don't need to, like, have a monster on the board already. And, like, let's say in the era of long strikes, dragons, they can't alpha something that I haven't summoned on the board yet. So that's kind of my thinking with it. By the way, it looks like you've upset the chat because, one, you didn't make an, mention cockatrice. Oh, I forgot about I the cockatrice. <laughs> Cock... Meta is amazing. You've got to get some cockatrice in your list. Um, just absolutely fantastic with some of the damage dealing. Again, it is a monster, so it'll die pretty quickly and give away that victory point. But um, it, it's a great little, and it's cheap. It was like a hundred points or something. Like yeah, it's, it's ninety nothing. points. 
It's nothing. Yeah, nine points and also, yeah, I forget. Thanks for reminding me about the cockatrice. I don't know how I forgot about our favorite boy. And I mean, he's 90 points. He, he also only costs like five points to summon. So you can literally just summon at turn one most of the time. And um, he could just snipe something. I mean, I've had him actually. Um, I was going against one of my friends, Chris. He plays Seraphon. And he had Croak out. I summoned a cockatrice. And then I rolled six mortal wounds against Croak. And then um, he rolled hot and killed himself. He exploded. So, yeah. Another unit that I was talking to the, the Discord about, because like when I was going through this and trying to unpack it, there was a unit that I think is a bit of a sleeper that we haven't talked about that I know why people don't rate it, but I also think it, the risk is worth it, and that is the Chaos Gargant that was called out by someone else as well. Um, I had mentioned it. I think there is some really good... Vanus had called it out in the chat. I think with some of the rend abilities coming out of the Herdstone, and you look at the Chaos Gargan attack profile, um, there's some really good damage, especially when you start looking at the 3D, 3D6 club attacks that could be rend minus... It'd be rend minus 2 or rend minus 3, depending on what round it is. Or the headbutt that can do 6 attacks at rend minus 4. It is a good unit, but the risk is when it uh, rolls a double on the charge... Uh, it essentially falls over its own self and, you know, it comes useless. It just does nothing, yeah. Thoughts? Why Why do you like the Chaos Gargan? Is it worth considering? I think he's fun if you build around it because he can do a lot of damage, but it's also really reliant on you getting off your spells. So, And, you know, BOC, unless you're running Masters of Magic, we don't have the greatest spell casting. And then also you have to rely on it charging, and you have to pray to God you don't roll a double, like you were saying. And then and it could be I a mean, successful double. Like you could literally hit a charge, and you hit like the eleven. You're like, I <laughs> uh, so you hit twelve, like a twelve or a ten, and you're like, do I re-roll this charge? Actually, can it even re no? You'd need a hero to to make it re-roll the charge. Like, do I risk failing the charge so it doesn't fall over itself? And like, yeah, yeah. I mean. It's like I said, it's it's fun, but I would never run it because like you have to have you have basically you have to have the stars aligned and you have to hope he doesn't whiff. And then also, um he's also more expensive than one um baby giant in Suns. How many points is it? I don't remember offhand, but I think a baby um me mega is one seventy. I think he's like one eighty or one ninety. I might be wrong, yeah, okay. but yeah, I think I think one cool thing though about the chaos gargant, just to call it out, is uh, the, the the drunken the drunken stagger is annoying because as a gits player, it has the drunken stagger. So the the rule, if people don't know what it is, is if you roll a double, um, the model can't charge. So even if it was a successful charge, it doesn't charge. And then basically, there's like a a, a bit of a shenanigans, and it falls over and does d three mortal wounds to things. So it's normally going to hurt yourself. Um, as opposed to your opponent. But it does have the stuff in the bag ability, which means that you can basically, when it piles in, pull out a model um, within three inches. So I use that in my son's army a lot to pull out banners or command models or something that gives them a really nice boost, a, a hero that's not a hero, the uh, like the commanding champion or whatever it is. So there is some pros and cons. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I he's just the worst considering... man rusher. 
Yeah, he's just the worst man crusher. He doesn't count as 10 or 15 on an objective like he does at Suns. And, I mean, usually when it comes to um, the Chaos Gargant, if every something can go wrong, everything goes wrong with that like guy. And I feel like with how BOC plays, we do not rely we we do not want to rely on one piece to carry us to victory. There you go. Vince is, Vince is doing some solid maths hammering, saying a 16% chance to fail any charge, even if it's within three inches. Imagine getting a three-inch charge. You can't re-roll the charge itself because it's you know it doesn't, it's not a hero, it's not a, a, a champion. And then it falls over itself. So, you know, there's a lot of babysitting with those ba- uh, those little boys. Um, Razor Gores are solid. They're not mon- monsters, clearly. Um, and they do get to um, re-roll the charge. So they're not bad for summoning points of view, but they're obviously not a monster. So um, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. And also the thing is, is that, like, for cheaper, you could just get a, um, a Gorgon. He's 155 points versus a 180. So you just... Yeah. It's more consistent, I think. That's the key. And uh, Block Tofu telling us it's 180. Yeah, at 180, it's too much. I think I'd rather just invest those points somewhere else. I think it's just too much of a risk. If it goes off, it's awesome. But, you know, there's just a high chance of failure. Or even the three, six attacks. It could be three attacks. It could be 18 attacks. Like, do you want to get that, you know, do you want to buff this up for three attacks? Probably not. No. It's fun, but that's pretty much it. Well, well. Any other comments about the White Dwarf update, or should we actually have a look at your LVO list, uh, talk a little bit about it, and then unpack it further to go, well, what's changed? Because LVO is literally like a month or less than a month ago. So what has changed in your thinking, and how, as a BOC player, should I consider taking advantage of these new rules? Yeah, um, I have nothing else to say, and we should definitely take advantage of the new rules, and let's look at the, the list. I think, which was what everyone's here for and trying to understand why it worked at LVO. I was talking to um, so a friend of the channel, Marcella, who was um, talking, uh, little Marathi, she was talking Daughters of Cain. She was actually playing as well today with Beasts of Chaos. Unfortunately, the TO didn't allow the rules because thinking there was going to be an FAQ to the White Dwarf, White Dwarfs don't get FAQ'd. So, um, you know, what you've got is here to stay. Matt, talk me through your list, man, because there's a lot of stuff here. You maybe use three columns where most people only need two columns. And you've got your Shagoth, you've got the Underworld's Warband, you've got a Doom Bull, you've got your Demon Prince of Corn as an ally. Um, I hope most folks know why that's in there, but I'm sure you'll tell us uh, if we've missed it. You've got lots of Bulgors. You've got two, three units of six Bulgors, two units of three Bulgors. You've also got um, some Untamed Beasts. You've got a Kitty Cat. Uh, as well as two endless spells. Um, lots going on here at 150 wounds. What was this list all about? How did it win? And what drove you to make these decisions to to put these these units in the list? Because we'll obviously then do a reflection to say what's changed since this moment. Yeah, of course. Okay, so as I've stated in the like you know in the beginning of the video, I want to take Bulgors because. Besides the fact that they're fun, they do a lot of output. In my opinion, they do the most output for in terms of damage out of any BOC unit. So that's why I wanted to take them. So I was like, okay, I had damage. Bulgors are my damage. But because BOC um, dies easily, and especially if we get doubled and we have nothing to protect us from a double, then everything I invested into these Bulgors, it just dies. So that's why 
before LVO, I had to do a lot of thinking about BOC. And then um, I realized that, oh, we could ally in Slaves to Darkness. So then I was it brought mine, because I also played Legion of the First Prince, that, oh, Core Demon Prince. He's amazing. And if people didn't know about the Core Demon Prince, he has charges and runs within 18 inches of him. And if he goes into a garrison, it extends the aura from the base or the model of the garrison. It's pretty dumb. Like, don't if you get a giant garrison these. piece... <laughs> if you get the garrison... If you sit in a garrison piece, it literally goes from, like, 18 inches to, like, potentially, like, 30 inches or, like, 40. It's And you pretty much can get it board wide. A actually insane. And that's why I took him into the list, because I could just offer so... I could just do so much control. What and does then, that mean, though, specifically? Like, if I was not familiar with the Demon Prince, and I know people talk about it a lot on the internet especially like Slaves to Darkness players or, you know, anyone else that can ally them. Why specifically the corn one? And more importantly, why does that buff become important? Like, tell me about the practicality of that buff and why well, it's a debuff, actually. So the fact that you can have charges and runs within 18 inches of him allows you to dictate how a battle is fought, how the flow of the game is and it also gives something to keep opponent you know if opponent thinks they have a guaranteed charge even if they're within three inches of a unit well that three inch charge becomes a six inch charge and then if they're a little bit further back it's not as reliable and especially if you um let's say they declared a battle tactic broken ranks against a unit of bulgors and then by bulgors and that enemy unit is within the um the half charge range of the demon prince all I have to do is just redeploy the Bulgors, and suddenly that charge either becomes a lot harder or impossible. And that's happened to me a few times where I've gone out for a, a charge, and then they've rolled like a four or a five on a redeploy, and it's literally meant while within the corn buff range or debuff range, it's literally I haven't been able to um, to to hit the charge, even with like a twelve. Um, I'm physically unable to to do it. So. Um, and if I have chosen something like, yeah, as you said, Slay the Warlord or Broken Ranks or anything, um, it can be really, really nasty. Yeah, and then especially because we're in, we're in such an Alpha Strike heavy meta, because we have Dragons, we have Mock Crushes, we have Megas, and just really fast going things, the Demon Prince keeps all those things in check. And it allows me not to get smacked like turn one or turn two by like just all the Alpha Strike. And I feel like he is definitely, it almost feels like an auto-include in all BOC lists, if I have to be honest, because I've, like I said before, BOC is an army, of, it's a horde army of chaff, glass cannons, and control. Yeah. We want to dictate yeah, the, the pace of the game. Yeah, the, you know, and I, I can't pull Vince's comment up because it'll overtake our face in this particular layout. But, you know, the, the point that, you know, he's making is, is a good one, is that, you know, it's a great ally, but to solely look at the half charge, yes, a three-inch charge does become technically a five because you half a six. There's a whole bunch of shenanigans, but where the powerful really comes in is when you do the redeploy as well because that's when the real kicker comes in because a three-inch charge, even if it becomes like a five or a six, it's still statistically likely, um, and a re-roll will get you in there. But when you start pulling back and you get a four or a five on a redeploy or someone tries to do a long bomb charge, then it becomes really difficult. At three inches, though, you know, you're just making life a little bit harder. Yeah. 
I mean, thanks for the clarification on that, Vince. I didn't know that. And yeah. Maths. Maths. Too late for maths. Um, you've got you got your Doom Bull. Why why the Doom Bull general and um and why so many bulgors? Because I think for a lot of people, when they looked at six bulgors, you're either building in for redundancy because you can't get them all into combat easily. Um yeah, like that, that's probably the big one, right? Just the coherency plays around with this a lot. Yeah, so I like the Doom Bull because, well, first off, he makes Bulgor's battle line. So, and I want to run Bulgor, so he's great for that. And um, the, the other great thing about him, too, is that he has a command ability that if a Warherd unit, like so either Gorgon himself or Bulgor's are within 12 inches of him, wholly within, he can give them plus one to wound. So he can make, so basically, um, with how kind of like my synergies work out, um, if I, and because I've Grashak, so let's say if I'm going against a Mega and my, if my spell goes off for a Savage Bolt, which, you know, they take D3 Mortal Wounds and the entire BOC army gets a plus one to hit. So I charged six Bulgors into a Met, into a Mega, which is, which happened in one of my games. They already have, they have the free plus one to hit. And then the Doom Bull just pops them, wounding on twos. And especially because my Bulgors, six mans are Hunters of the Heartland. They can't be roared at. So they're hitting on threes, wounding on twos with like four Bulgors are attacking with seven or nine attacks. And then at worst, maybe you get like six or nine damage. At best, you can get up to like 21 or 27 damage with four with full Bulgors. It's actually insane. And then they have their Horde attacks too. So I think that's why... I really like the Doom Bull. He's he's not he can be fighty, but he's not too fighty, and he just provides a lot of utility for my list, which is what all BOC heroes are. They can fight, but they're mostly there for the utility. And he's certainly the one that I would put into combat for that battle tactic. The first round being in combat, Doom a Doom Bull general is definitely someone that I would consider if that situation arose. Um, I will I will ask you was Gra Grashrak. Um, the reason you've primarily taken this model is for the um, the War Scroll spell, that plus one to hit um, from the damage? Yes. That is, like, the biggest reason why. Because if Savage Bolt goes off, and if I put it against... Because, again, with how the current meta is right now, with Iron Jaws, Dragons, or something like that, if I put that against a unit, the entire army... My entire BOC army, outside of my Slaves of Darkest Allies, gets plus one to hit against it. And usually with Bulgors, we usually hit on fours. So that's kind of like our biggest thing. So if I'm able to not spend a command ability for all at attack, then I just dogpile in um, the Bulgors into one unit. And they generally just delete something most of the time. Because they just do so much raw damage with just three damage attacks. Even a unit of three is such a huge threat. Why did you go the double, the great axes as opposed to the dual axes? Because I know, spoiler alert, when we go into your new list, and we'll get to it pretty soon, I don't want to spend too much time on this one, but you have switched out some of the great axes and you've gone dual axes. Why the great axes, all of them? Because we didn't have the Ren buff like we did now at the time, and because even though they don't have a lot of attacks per Bulgore with great axes, the fact that I can just spike and just like, Again, at worst, I do like three or six damage, even the unit of three. But then with three Bulgors, can potentially get up to like like maybe 15, 18 damage. 
a unit of three can do that for 130 points. And I feel like because Great Axe just do so much damage, raw damage, and then with the old Hearthstone, if they're within range, I go from Ren 2 to Ren 3. And so, yeah, it just allowed me to punch through safe stacking really easily. So that's why I like to take Great Axes, because raw damage and punches through safe stacking. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously the benefit of the dual axes comes in to be able to re-roll one. So if you had, you know, plus, you know, put a plus one to hit, so they're now hitting on threes, re-rolling ones, sixes uh, to wound our mortals um, in addition. So they can do absolute carnage um, under the right conditions. Yeah. Yeah, and then Grishak is just a great way to give everyone plus one hit because I like to dogpile something. And if I have to like get into the rest of the list and explain how it works, is that Demon Prince provides me a lot of control with have have run and have charge. Grishak, if his spell goes off, gives me plus one hit, and he also comes free with his warband, which I just use as additional screen. So then with how the screen so when people look at my list, they're thinking, I don't have a lot of screen, which is like, you know, that's fine for me. I have Unit of Untamed Beast. They have their pregame move, and they occupy a lot of space. And then I have Grishak's Spoilers. I put them out. And then, unironically, my two units of three Bulbors, I actually use them as a second layer of screen in case I get double-turned. Because if they died, cool. They're just 100, they have to throw like a Maw Crusher at 130 points. Fine with me. But then if they don't die, three Bulgors can just do a lot of damage, as, as I explained. And then, especially if they give me first... I usually can summon a unit of Ungors as like an additional screen, just to like roadblock them. And I have Demon Prince to have charges and stuff like that. And if they're in range of the Shagoth. The Shagoth has a spell called Hailstorm. Hailstorm goes off on a 6 or a 7. It has move, run, and charge. And that can stack with the Demon Prince command ability for having charges and runs. So you, you put and that on one isn't unit. It like, isn't it range 30? It's like 21 24 inches oh, yeah it's it pretty like massive 30 it's yeah it's a big one it's pretty insane and also if you put it if you put the shag off in the garrison well the range just goes up <laughs> you and your garrisons yeah yeah so. um yeah like 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 that combination of the um the dragon ogre being able to uh the shag off being able to um manipulate movement as well as the uh the demon prince is a great control and being able to, you know, again, stop people from scoring their battle tactics, being able to get onto objectives. There's some real good... It's 21. Thank you, folks. I swear, for some reason, I was thinking it was 30. I don't know why. Maybe it was some shenanigans I was thinking about. Who knows? Old whatever. But yeah. 21 also, it is. As, um, <laughs> yeah. As Mike was mentioning, too, if you want to get in range, the Shagoth and all Dragon Ogres at the, at the hero phase, beginning of the hero phase, they move D6 every single time at the start of the hero phase. So he just moves D6 if I want to get him in range of a spell, and that makes it a lot easier. And then to explain the artifact I took on him, Tanglehorn Familiars. Not a lot of people know about this one. I was introduced to this tech by another BOC player named Brian after we played a TTS game against each other. And what this thing essentially does is that once per game at the start of the enemy um, turn, if they have a wizard within 12 inches of the Shagoth, the Shagoth can just say, nope, you cannot cast at all for that for that turn only, once per game. So that's really good against certain things that just um, want to... Like, when I was using it in LVL, I used it against um, Reich Reichner, who can get bonuses to cast. 
and then or I can use it against a Mega who wants to give himself Mystic Shield, or if I go against Lumineth, maybe if I get him in range of Techless, shuts off his entire or Nagash shuts off his entire ma- magic phase for a turn. So yeah. That, yeah, no, I dig it. And look, you know, you've obviously got the Kitty Cat as well, um, which is a great way to reduce, again, the amount of damage that comes back to you. Because if you are successful in the little dice game that you play, um, you, they're going to fight last. So, again, it gets more yeah. of those Bulgors in doing damage without you taking nearly as much damage. And then you've already controlled it as well with the Demon Prince, with the um the the shagoth stuff plus some of the screens and you know untamed beast coming in and i was going to ask you about untamed beast did you find that you were able to push back any deep striking or any of the summoning or any any type of reserve stuff by having that free pre-game move from the um the untamed beast yep i was able to create a roadblock especially if my summoning went off and i could summon a unit of ungors i would essentially have two or maybe even three layers of screen before they even try to get into like my Bulgors or my heroes. And then because I have so much control too with the half charge, have move, and then um, also before I forget, with the sh- something else to say about the Shagoth too is that I actually like to use him as the guy that cuts himself. So I call him the Emo Shagoth because he... <laughs> because he can... he So he takes D3 mortal wounds and then at the end of every combat phase including the opponents, you just heal one wound. So, yeah. You, he just has a lot of healing, and then if you need to heal him, you just do your heroic action healing, or you cast a spell, summon lightning, which can heal himself. So, yeah. The, that's why I, I usually leave the Shagoth behind most of the time by the Hearthstone just to do that. But at some point, I was able, if I wanted to like stop a spellcaster from doing their thing, I just throw him forward and just try to shut down their spellcasting for a turn. And then with the cat, with you know, what you mentioned. So with the cat and Wildfire Taurus, I have two forms of fight last. BOC is an army that does not want to fight fairly because we generally have a five, six up save, maybe a best of four up save across the army, like, you know, board wide. And the way to like mitigate, like, you know, high damage coming into you, and we never want to fight fairly with you go, I go. With two sources, so with Wildfire Taurus, um, it goes off on a seven, and then it ends wholly within six inches of the caster, and then it moves 12 inches at the end of every hero phase. So essentially, you have this you have this bull just running around, making hitting things for D3 mortal wounds on a two-up, and making things fight last. And then I've learned, so the Wildfire Taurus can actually like affect your BOC units too, so that's why I'll, yeah. I've always learned to be really careful about positioning it carefully. And even if it's within three inches of like your BOC units, if it's your turn and they fight last, you st- your everything you still take, all your fight last units in your turn still take precedence over um, the enemy unit that's fighting last. And also, if the opponent wants to unbind it, it goes off. They need an eight to unbind it, so it's not really easy to like get rid of. And if they don't get rid of it, it just goes crazy. And I also like using Wildfire Taurus to actually um, move block and to deny charges because the base of it is so big. So let's say if they declare a unit or a hero for like, um, you know, slay the warlord or kill a monster or bring it down. They tell me their battle tactic and they don't unbind the Wildfire Taurus. Cool. I just move the Wildfire Taurus 
in front of the um model and it's like can you end within three inches of this unit? yeah because they can because you can definitely move through it but to end the charge it, it, it's a model there so you've got to keep that in mind for positioning one question that did come up that i don't, I don't want to lose is a lot of boc players are going to have that Bray herd shaman next to the herd stone for a bit of stabby stabby and that sacrificial unit your list doesn't have either of those so did you struggle with summons did you have some other alternative for the, to getting some um some extra summoning points or if i was that not, not important for you it's not that important for me because I always think about what I do. So like, let's say if the shag, off, if I send the shag off just to like shut off someone's spell casting for like a turn, maybe I have Grishak at the Herdstone, or maybe I summon something, um, depending on where it is, and I just ran it by the Herdstone and I do the D three mortal wounds. But honestly, this list with what I run is not the LVL list is not super reliant on summoning. It's more like a bonus, honestly, because of how I'm not running all herd with this list. It's just swingy. I mean, the bet with this list, all I literally just summoned was just Ungors, just to steal objectives, to be chaff, and everything else. Yeah. Did you find probably one more burning question that I want to get to your other list, which is the new version of the list? Is one of the rules that I often forget about is the stuff that came to BOC through uh, Broken Realms, Kragnos. And obviously, both um, Brayherd, Warherd, and Thunderscorn all got a bunch of rules. And I was just looking at what Brayherd, Warherd got again, and that was the 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 D3 mortal wounds on the charge um, on a four up, or if there is three or more models, it becomes four or more, four or and more models. A, it's four or more models. Yeah. Um, no, it's three or more. Add two to the roll. After a friendly Warhead unit makes a charge, pick one enemy unit within one of that and roll a dice. Add two if it's a Warhead unit, has a hero, or there's three or more models. On a four up, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. So I guess long story short, with a whole yeah. bunch of six um, six model Bulgors, were you, did you find you were doing a whole bunch of mortal wounds on the charge before you started cutting face with Great Axe? Yeah, it was it was actually super impactful. Like, yeah, it's swingy, but then if I'm making something like, for example, fight last, I dogpile all my, like, I dogpile one or two units of Bulgors into a unit. They do impact hits, and I remember going against, um, even against, like, a Mega Gargant, I was able to get so many Bulgors around, and I, I was able to do, like, nine mortal wounds on impact hits, because I just rolled pretty hot. Like, that's that's what you can roll. So then yeah, it actually adds awesome. up to the damage that Bulgors can do. Yeah, it's something that I would forget about. And I, I, I even, to be honest with you, when I did the video review for the White Dwarf Rule, I completely forgot that gore, um, gore units that were either in reserve, in in ambush, or set up in the turn get to reroll charges. So um, there's another little way to to do some sideboard shit. Yeah, that's against. only for um, gores, the unit gores. Yeah, not yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's not it's just yeah, not ungores, just gore units. Yeah. And I think, you know, so I guess with how everything this list works, and I guess to explain my LPL list in a nutshell, it has a lot of tiny MSU, or not, I mean, not all MSU, but it has a lot of, like, small hammers running around, where, like, if someone wants to over, someone is always going to over-invest into killing one of my BOC units, and I'm not going to feel that bad from it. I'm not going to take the loss that badly. But then they have to also consider all the control I can have. Two sources of fight last. All my spells. 
denying spell casting, and then Doom Bowl's Masters of Magic. He can reroll cast, and a lot of the BOC spell lore is amazing for you know reducing saves, movement, stuff like that. Core and Demon Prince. I mean, it just all adds up. And also, I remember when I was watching your interview with Gavin the other day, and I think he was talking about how like we're shifting towards like a meta of wound density and maybe MSU. I actually think we're heading there. Like this is to me, this list was the answer to a lot of things in um the current meta right now and i tested this against like dragons and shoot and like vanguard raptors and shooting lists and they the biggest thing i've noticed with this list is that they don't i actually make it hard for them to prioritize which targets to go for because i don't care if i lose one thing literally that was what i wanted to say next because when i revisit this list it reminds me of the conversation that i had with jeremy who ran the phoenician list and was top eight with phoenician and he had said in the chat that he didn't care what model lost like he at times he got hand in the gash twice his phoenixes right he has two frost heart phoenixes and yeah. both of those um got hand in the gash but he didn't care because from his list point of view there was no there was no linchpin that if that model died it's game over and when I look at, you know, taking down that Corn Demon Prince, cool. I've still got three units of six Bulgors to deal with. I've still got the Shagoth to deal with. I've still got the Kitty Cat to deal with. There's a lot of threats that this list doesn't crumble if that one spell doesn't go off or that one unit dies or that one unit didn't do what it is. There's a lot of consistency, and um, I really dig this. One burning question before I move on to the, the, the new list and I was just thinking about this because obviously, you know, you go onto Twitter and the, the world's ending. It's always some some units, the worst unit in the game. And Dragons is obviously causing major headaches in the meta. And I was thinking about the Untamed Beasts and I was thinking about the pregame move, the screen. Uh, and I was thinking about some of these things like fulminators coming from the side through living city i was thinking about dragons being able to get that free hero face charge once per game through the night draconis there's a whole bunch of these little things right now that people are thinking about well how do i respond do you think the untamed beast with the free pre-game move can help you protect with another layer and push that those attacks back further um because the dragons only have like a 12 inch charge right so you can push them back from your juicy stuff um a, a whole lot easier yeah, I mean they're they're because of so the utility that they provide of doing the um pregame move and they provide additional screen. And let's say there's that off chance that the and like the opponent doesn't finish off the whole unit. Cool. I could just have them be a they could just fall back to be additional screen or actually have them run around the map and just try to steal an objective. Like it's there's a lot of like cheeky stuff you can do and because the base size of that mo the base size of all those models are like so weird and they're not consistent. You can actually make a pretty decent like screening line, which is like which worked out for me, and that's why I've taken them. And I feel like Slaves of Darkness, like we have a lot of good choices from that book to ally in. Yeah, some great choices and very cheap ones. Like hell, you've got three allies in your list, right? Like that's that's heaven for a lot of people. Like it's yeah, very yeah, that's great. Let's talk your new list and be mindful, folks, here. Um, the War Scroll build is not updated yet, so the Grand Strategy isn't Hold the Line. It's, in fact, the new Beast of Chaos um, Grand Strategy, the Protect the Hearthstone. And there are some consistencies. You've still got the Shagoth. You've still got the uh, Grashrak. You've still got the Doom Ball. You've still got the Demon Prince. We've got a bit of a mixture here in the units, though. You've got some, some things that have stayed the same, some things that have changed, whether it's the paired axes have come in or you've dropped a whole bunch of, of, of Bulgore as well and you've gone double kitty cat no untamed beasts so what has changed either from lvo 
and or because of White Dwarf? Well, um, ever since White Dwarf has come out, so with so this is the new list right now. So basically, I dropped two units of Bulgors and I dropped the Untamed Beast because I was thinking, hmm, because our summoning is really good. Um, I can summon a lot of screen and Roblox anyway, so I'm not too reliant on the Untamed Beast. And because I found that two sources of fight last was really good in LVO, why not three sources of fight last? So now that's why I have two cats and the Wildfire Taurus. And another great thing I forgot to mention with the previous with the previous list is that the Mind Stealer Spherinx, they're monsters. They give you like free monster points. You can get Ferocious Advance super easily. Unless you mess it up like me in, in one of the LVO games where I just failed it. but Or, um, yeah, they're monsters, and then they can do monsters takeover. They can, if you need them to get into combat as a case, they can go in after you made something fight last, and they can just roar, and you don't have to worry about them smacking the cat. Because at that point, well, all the Bulgors are just probably going to kill whatever they're on anyway with, like, minus three or minus four rend, or minus five rend. And it allows, yeah, so then, and the reason why I'm taking three endless spells too, which is pretty unconventional is um i forgot to talk about doom blaster torn my last list doom i was blaster... gonna ask you that because yeah. i've got the battle time in front of me but it's the old war scroll so i couldn't think of what changed with the horn because only i've only ever seen the horn once and that's my conversion with a mega gargant holding it like an actual horn i've actually never seen the horn <laughs> on the table i've seen more of the flock than i have the horn Yeah, no, everyone uses it as a conversion piece but no there's a use so it's 45 points, so it's really cheap to add in a list, and it goes off on a 6. And it doesn't need to be holy within. It After you cast it and it goes off, you just put it within 12 inches of the caster, and it creates a minus 1 to hit bubble. It starts off at 3 inches. Not really significant at first, but if they don't, if they don't unbind it, it goes up 3 inches every single battle round. And I've had games where it just goes up to like a minus like one hit in a nine inch aura. And I just, so what I usually do is with this list, I actually really like to go first. And that's what I actually prefer with this list because then I, then I get to cast, I could do my, all of my control, cast all my spells and everything. And then when I put out, um, you know, my two endless spells, the Doom Blast Dirtor and the Wildfire Taurus, it forces opponents to un waste their unbinds or casts just to get rid of them because if they don't get rid of them, they're just going to go rampant and also let, when it comes back to my turn again, even if even if they do get rid of those endless spells, it works out for me because then I can still cast. I still have a bunch of other spells I can cast in my BOC, like you know, hailstorm, um, the minus one to save spell and everything. And I feel like yeah, yeah. And BOC is like with masters of magic and like everything. We don't have a lot of reliable spell casting, but when it goes off, it's really impactful. So, which is why I like to just bust out all these spells too, which makes opponents think a lot, and it adds to the control aspect of this list. And then to talk about Cogs, Cogs is also another cheap endless spell, and it gives me a chance to give another cast. So, like, let's say I put it on Grishak. First, he can cast um, his Savage Bolt for the plus one to hit for all BOC units against one unit, and then maybe, if they're in range, he can cast Tendrils of Atrophy for the minus one save. So it's pretty insane value for like what it does. And I don't care if somebody unbinds or not. And usually um, when I was testing it out at the, at the RTTs today and on TTS, um, it's given me a lot of value. And that's why I've stuck with three endless spells in the list. Question from the chat. 
Um, why why would you not go with Ungor Raiders? So the the response from the the people talking in the is is obviously points points definitely the difference between the Untamed Beast and um, and the Ungor Raiders certainly that would be a, a factor. Is that the only reason why you wouldn't take um, uh, something that's native? And obviously, Ungor Raiders have a shooting attack as well, which can help in some situations. But at minimum, pre-game move to pre-game move. So I think because the way I built my list, I really can't fit in Ungor Raiders. But the great thing about the BOC summoning now is that it's just really easy to bust out like Ungors or just Ungor Raiders. And I'm slightly down on Ungor Raiders right now because with the old Hearthstone, it was really easy for them to be to get minus one to hit on their bows. Now, because the Ren buff only affects melee weapons, so that's why I've not really taken it. And because I have so much control on my list, I really don't need the pregame move because I generally play defensively. And because I roll ones so many times on like my priority from top of from turn one to battle round one to battle round two, I have just prepared a gameplay where it's like I can take the hit, I can take the double where I don't need the pregame move because I have all of my control tools out and everything. And like like I said, someone is always going to overinvest into killing something in BOC just because all of our stuff is like generally like not too expensive points wise. I guess I guess the you know the only concern I would have is um is the, the things that are coming out of reserve um and a lot more people are putting units into reserve because again long strikes, lumineth Bow snakes, uh, cruel boy shooting, iron drakes—you know, some real heavy output out there, and um, people don't want their nice shiny toys being shot off the board. So, and especially if you can teleport or come in from reserve, dragons another good example. Especially if Gavin's Living City list becomes more popular, um, I can see a real need for that pre-game move just to push things out so that it get into your juicy targets, but. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, and I guess with your summoning and being able to put bodies on the board, um, it's not necessarily that important. Yeah. And I guess if you need those pregame moves as well, you could always put those those kitty cats, those mind stealers into alpha beast pack. Sadly, they cannot. They're oh, not behemoths. They classify ah. as troops. That's right. There was some crack idea I had, and I remember I remember thinking about this because they're monsters but they're not behemoths and alpha beast pack is behemoth. I was thinking it was monster. Damn. How cool would that be? Pre-game move for double kitty cat. Oh, if I could do that, I would definitely, that's, that would be an auto include with my cats. If I could do it. Both of your lists are high drops. And I said this to um, a couple of previous guests and even Gavin, you know, Gavin's been running some pretty high lists. And if you were listening to Twitter, Twitter would be saying the importance of getting to the bottom and going, how low can you go with your drops? You know, one drop, two or three. But you have, you're still at like eight, nine drops. You know, you're relatively high. You're not dictating the, um, the who goes first in most, most situations. Did you find that ever came into play, or why aren't you concerned about going double battle regiment? So with how BOC operates, because we're an army, you know, we want to have all our tools and everything, and we want to have as much artifacts as we can. I feel like it's just the nature of our army because we lean so much into having hordes, control, and then just bodies and just, you know, raw damage. We don't need to ever build into like having two battle regiments or being low drops because we want to have all the tools available. Because I feel like with battle regiment, 
it essentially makes list building like constrictive. And I feel like with, you know, in the case of living cities, it works out because everything just fits into the one drop. But in this case, um, with how BOC just works and everything, I, I really don't need it because I plan, because some armies can deal with being double turned, some can't, and some wants first. And the way I've designed my list is because usually there's so many like expensive hammers in our in the meta right now, and the way to deal with that is just to have so much control and always force the hammers to overextend. Because it's like I don't care if I lose six a unit of six bulgors. You're gonna care if I kill four dragons with a bunch of bulgors with Ren three, Ren four. So I think, and also because like I feel I feel like. Drops do matter depending on the army and list you're playing. I think people have this misconception that like, oh, you should go low drops, one drop, always thing for which you know it definitely is something you have to consider and it definitely matters. But that's why like I built the list the way I have because I have so much like wound density. I have so I will always force um, long strikes or something to split shots if they really want to like finish off something. And because of how good my summoning is, it's like cool. You kill this unit of three bulgors while well, they're back. The next turn anyway or two turns from now or a bunch of other things so i think this list is really focused on making someone overcommit to kill something or get me off the objective and then i hit them back really hard with all the all my spell casting control and then um my bulgors yeah where do you think boc and i, I realize it's getting late uh and i gotta cook dinner myself is there where do you think BOC now sit in the meta and I guess the power levels of um, of the game? You know, previous to this White Dwarf, you'd hear probably most people agree that you're at the bottom along with Gits and Nighthaunt, although I think people are a bit, a bit too harsh on Nighthaunt. You know, Corn is not doing that well. Um, and you were kind of at this, this bottom four. Do you think this is an average three three and two kind of list? Do you think you could be going five and zero? Oh? And I guess I'm talking the regular BOC player, someone who masters a list can definitely go five and zero oh or four and one. What power level do you think BOC is now at with the White Dwarf? So BOC before was at best maybe a three two army in my opinion. If you play really well and everything works out, and it's also dependent on if your opponent doesn't know what BOC does, which is I find is funny enough. Ninety-seven percent of people. Yeah, but then yeah, so basically it came down to because I think with BOC with BOC players, anyone that gets into this army, and this is you know my tip for new people to get into this army. This army is a general's army. It's not reliant on like one or two units just killing everything and just doing everything. You have to make sure that every single tool, every single unit in your army has a role and purpose. And as weird as it sounds, you want to make sure that when a BOC unit dies, it has a purpose. Because we're an army of trash. But when all the trash come together, then uh, it just kind of like, it, it just works. And now with the white dwarf buffs and everything, I think we can honestly be consistently a 3-2 army. Maybe even for one, and I feel like things work out. I, I feel so confident with how strong BOC is because of how the meta is right now. If the meta shifts back into hordes or more spell casting, then maybe I can see us going down because that's what actually we struggle into. Or Night Haunt 
ends up being like really problematic for us yes and we know why um we we know nighthorn's gonna get an update with the next book you know we've got um fury of the deep so we'll have um we can only assume fire slayers and deep kim will get a book in the near future we can only assume daughters of cain and nighthorn will be the next ones and depending on the popularity so i guess you know if i think about my discussion with gavin you know literally the other day he mentioned that it was a real mixture of having quality attacks so having lots of volume at low damage low rend he had some mortal wounds and also some high rend and high damage so i think the risk potentially is if you go too hard on bulgors or too hard on dragon ogres depending on the types of matchups you may struggle a little bit so thinking about where you can get some high volume attacks as well would make you a much more well-rounded and probably handle a tournament better than just going all in and if the if the things go well like like for yourself matt um you definitely can go four and one right you've already proved it but um think about the types of armies in your in your scene yeah i mean i feel like the nice thing about boc is that because we have so many units in our book you can really build depending on how your local meta is or just the overall meta in general like i love bull i run bulgors because i love bulgors and besides the fact that I think they do a lot of damage, but maybe Dragon Ogres are really good or something else is really good. I think the beauty about this BOC book right now is, yes, it is. it was one of the weaker 2.0 books, but now because of the Ren buff, it just gives us so many more options. And I love playing books where it's like, you know, this build, you just run this one build and that's all you can run. Like, for example, Daughters right now, which is kind of unfortunate for them. But, well, hopefully the book updates. But yeah, Paul, to your point, yes, the original list that we showed was 1990. A 10-point difference with Ungor Raiders from Untamed Beast would still be 2K. I guess I'd challenge you to say, well, by going at 1990, there's a chance for Triumph versus a 2,000-point list. And the 10-point difference between Ungor Raiders and Untamed Beasts, I, I think I'd rather the Triumph, but I'm not building towards it. I don't know, Matt, do you have any thoughts on that? Because you, your your original LVO list could actually have gone, uh, according to the maths here, you could have done Uncle Raiders over Untamed Beasts. I mean, I could have, but I just kind of like the Untamed Beasts for what they do. And maybe there's that like small, like tiny percent chance that I could get Triumph. I mean, that's kind of why I did it. Spoiler alert, it's actually not 20 points. The mic, oh, mic's yeah, clarifying. It's actually not 10, it's 20. So then it definitely couldn't have happened. So... Um, just to clarify. Cool. So it's yeah. not a 10-point difference, it's a 20-point difference. Any list that you think you're going to struggle with, Matt? Um, anything that you would be concerned about facing at your next tournament? So here's here's my take on actually, I feel like, what we really struggle into. Seraphon, Thunder Lizard, and any variation of Seraphon because they have this, they can just deny all my control, all my spell casting. Um Thunder Lizard, especially with a minus one damage on like most of their units. And then I feel like they can be either much more mobile, tanky than us, and it's not hard for them to kill our stuff. So I think strong spellcasting armies like them, Lumineth, especially if they lead into Techless or the Fox build, because unless we just rely on our Cox or um, Chimeras to do range damage, then they're, you know. The foxes are just going to go rampant and just like deny us a lot of movement. And then Techless, if there's a lot of MSU, Techless goes, awesome. I love a lot of MSU. Then he just pops that one spell where I think it's just like you just take a bunch of mortal wounds and a bunch of MSU or minus two 
leadership board wide and then um zinch because they can just do a lot of raw damage output and they're just so much better at spell casting than you like i play against a guy in our local meta named shane and he like traditionally just whoops me all the time even with all this control and so yeah those three to me are the biggest threats and what about um, nurgle because i think we're on the cusp of nurgle yeah. hitting the hitting the scene i think it's taken a while for nurgle players to get into the right mindset because the the play style of nurgle has fundamentally changed it's not like a minor tweak between books it is completely changed and i think we're starting to slowly see um good nurgle lists kind of appear and they are renowned for taking a punch and then smiling at you through their five up ward being able to heal They've got summoning. They've got some ability to restrict piling as well through things like your uh, sloppy bile piper. Do you think that would be a concern for Beasts of Chaos? Yes, and I've played against Nurgle a couple of times. I actually was playing a TTS game against um, Nurgle last night, ran by um, Matt Barker, who won top ITC Nurgle. And then um, Glotkin makes the match really tough because we I have control, yes, but he also is a control piece of him, of himself because it's like, okay, cool. If I try to get a battle tactic or if I try to move in something, it's like, okay, anything with 12 inches of him, cool. This unit is going to charge. And the nice thing about, and the good thing about, or the interesting tech about Nurgle is that if you take the um, reroll charge triumph, you can uh, use that triumph during the um, opponent's charge phase with the glotkin which with, with, the, glo with the glotkin counter charge command point yeah yeah so then not only glotkin just makes just changes the matchup i have to play so much more carefully i can't play as like aggressively even if i get my control tools off there's also the sloppity bile piper and that was a huge factor in the game i played yesterday where it's like it made the difference where he just didn't let me he put it he charged he made he made sure i was outside of like one inch or two inches because Bulgore is only one inch, and I just couldn't pile onto the objective at all, unless I retreated. But then I would just waste a turn or more getting into it. And, and you can get pinned by a Beast of Nurgle or a, a Nurgling unit so easily, and you don't have very good shooting attacks. So to be able to pop that sloppy ball pipe up while being pinned by some of these units can be quite challenging. So um maybe that's the reason why you want to cycle or maybe to get some shooting attacks and some quality shooting attacks maybe maybe but um sorry i think the matchup against nurgle is definitely like winnable but it's hard and i feel like it makes it interesting it's it makes it an interesting game and i think another bad matchup i say as gareth was saying is corn i actually think corn can give bsc a run for its money is because i like to run a lot of bodies in msu corn blood tithe so actually makes the matchup really interesting plus you can do like the six inch pile in as well right so they can kind of run up you know avoid some of the your your corn demon prince abilities and then just pile in um so a lot of cool shenanigans and i guess you know we won't get bogged too much but i think i wanted you to think about folks um what you might be up against and thinking about how you build the list and i think there's definitely there's definitely multiple lists out there and you know uh, matt's definitely just one of them and I'll, i'm going to try to get joel's opinion as well but you know i think there's definitely a dragon ogre build i think there's a, a some sleeper stuff there i think there's some good skyfire stuff out there in the meta right now you could do, do some really good things and i still think there is a um 
a gore ungore build out there. And I think you are you're not playing into double reinforcing or even single reinforcing your gore or your ungore. It's just multiple waves of just cheap bodies that are just kind of being thrown at, clogging up the board, um, taking up objective space. So um, I don't know what that list will look like, um, especially as you start getting into like Ren 1, Ren 1, Ren 2 on just like lots of gore and ungore. But um, Matt's Matt's examples have been great. And it, it, it's already, it, you're already seeing some some good results from LVO, but also locally and on, on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah. And, and then um, if there's anything else I have to say about BOC and just general shout outs I want to do. BOC, I don't think it's going to be like an army people meta chase because one you have to like you have to buy so many models and it's just a lot of summoning and um it's an army you definitely have to love because it's not like an army you could just like play and just like turn off your brain like it's very much you have to think about every single move and before the white dwarf and even after like the white dwarf if you make a single mistake or if you're just not like precise about everything it's just game losing but it's very rewarding being an underdog and just like punching above your weight class. Like even the most humble Ungor can do something. Yeah. And I think, you know, the White Dwarf came at a really unexpected time. And, you know, it's going to be fun seeing, you know, not just my result, but everybody else's results with BOC. And yeah. And I, I guess, um, sorry, go on. I, was, I think I was sad that you got a White Dwarf. Not because you got a White Dwarf, but it probably means that a Battle Tome rewrite's probably far off. So it's probably the negative to, to getting a, a White Dwarf. I mean, it is a negative, but at the same time, the Ren buff and the Rally buffs have given us, opened up so much options. It almost feels like I'm playing with a half of a new book, which is like, you know, fantastic to me. And to a lot of BOC players, like... We were all like just cheering, mooing, braying, just that like we just got all these buffs and everything. And I feel like it's brought a lot of like life back into like list building and the army, which is what a lot of BOC players we like to do. Yeah, and considering as well, like there were big rumors out there that you would be combined with Slaves to Darkness. So it was like, you know, we're going to be rolled into Slaves to Darkness, the big rumor from 4chan up until oh my gosh we have a whole bunch of rules and we're now awesome i think if anything people are concerned you're going to get nerfed as opposed to uh be i think you know myself as a gits player i wish to be beast of chaos that's now a new term yeah. you know i mean you, you got before like we were saying in the aos coach discord the boc chat and the glooms fight gets chat we have like a brotherhood where it's just like you know we always cheer for each other and now we want to cheer for our gets brothers to rise up with us you know well it's like you know back in the day there's the term squatted right because there's that 40k faction that used to be around called the squats which yeah. is really now just ko you know and when an army gets done and you, know, you get removed from the game you're now squatted i think now anytime you get a boost you're you're balked so yeah we're um, yeah balked yeah and i guess we want like, to be, you know, be balked i yeah so we'll see where um you know the meta goes with boc entering in and then yeah it's gonna spice things up and to um you know not to take up much more of your time and you know thank you for bringing me on it's this is like my first like web interview ever like just publicly so hopefully i wasn't rambling on too much and then to do some general shout outs um i like to shout out you know the boc discord or the, the boc the aos like sub chat where a lot of guys like, you know, Grunt, Rothgar, 
um, Papa Bear and some other guys for like, you know, talking to me about list, like, you know, getting me excited about like list hacking for BOC. And then I also like to do a shout out for like the SoCal community because they've, they got me into RTTs like back in 2019 or 2020. And I just fell in love with just playing events and, you know, just trying a bunch of weird stuff out. Like this, the group of guys I play with, they're like some of the most fun guys, you know, to play AOS ever with, because we just get wild. It's always a party for us. And then, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, playing with that community a lot helped me become the player I am today. So I will always be grateful for them. And one last thing to say is, um, look out the rest of the United States, the West Coast, SoCal, United is coming. We have, we have a team. Okay. All right. Stay and tuned Age of Lake only, only because it's not only because it's goat time, but it's also going to be SoCal time, it seems. So yeah. uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and hearing about BOC. Uh, I was happy to have you, not only because you've done so well, but also, you know, I think you've brought some really good thinking to the faction. And I would love to hear from people how they're thinking about BOC now you've got the new White Dwarf, right? Um, I've already mentioned Skyfires. I've already mentioned um, uh, Dragon Ogres. I think there is an MSU-style gore un build. I'm sure there's a really good summoning build, you know, really tapping into all herd and just getting lots of Chimera and just great models on the table. Let us know what's going on. Um, people are loving you. You know, great job overall. You know, you, you are the, the champion of the server. Um, would you look just far out? Uh, and if people want to know more about Roz, uh, aka Matt, uh, one, I've got your Twitter handle below, so follow Matt and talk. And he is definitely a faction leader in my Discord server. And not only is he doing that, but he clearly knows how to play the game because he's gone four and one at the LVO, three and oh at a, lo a local tournament. What's the next big tournament you're going to be going to? So, oh, yeah, I forgot this other shout out I'm doing. Speaking of that, I'm going to go to, um, I'm just a shout-out guy right now. I am going to Old Town Throwdown 4. It is basically um, our local scenes, like, you know, big tournaments where we ha have our GTs or, like, majors. That's what we call it, Old Town Throwdown. So that's next week. And, um, yeah. I'm you going to send me hot tub photos again? I think it was yeah. the last time you were sending me hot tub streams. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, we really like hot tubs in SoCal. So, yeah. But, yeah, Sign Old up. Town Throwdown I'll 4. Highly recommend, and we're about to they're about to host a bunch of other Old Town Throwdowns throughout the year. So if you're in California or you want to travel, definitely get over here. Best events in the West Coast. All right. There's some big love and big recommendations there. Matt, you have been an absolute legend. Thank you so much. All of the Bray Herds out there, you have been absolute legends. Thank you for all the donations. I can now eat this month. Greatly appreciated. <laughs> um and you've been an absolute legend and let me know in the comment section you know how it is let me know what is going on and how are you building am i too hard on cycles is there some secret tech in the jabba slice that i'm clearly missing um or is there something that you have found that matt hasn't called out let us know in the comments matt you're a legend i'm going to end the stream have a good night folks yep. thanks for hanging out peace out man <laughs> Thanks for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that video interesting and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would appreciate it if you hit like on the video as well as left me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comment section below. 
The conversation will continue over on Discord, so links down below in the episode description if you want to join the Discord and continue the Age of Sigmar conversation. I want to give a massive shout out as well to these absolute bloody legends, these champions who have continued to support me through Patreon or YouTube members. That is going directly into supporting the maintenance and the growth of this channel. So thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. And until next time, roll more sixes.